Hello everyone. Welcome back to Danger on Delmarva, a podcast that explores the tragedies and disasters that have occurred on the Delmarva Peninsula, an area in the Mid-Atlantic region that encompasses Delaware, Maryland to the east of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and Virginia to the north of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and I'll be your host to take you down the sometimes treacherous paths that rind around Delmarva. Delmarva, a little haven, sometimes. In Newark, the loved ones of 17-year-old Madison Sparrow may never feel safe again. Today's episode will be a mini-sode. These cases are relatively recent, and while arrests have been made, motives and relationships remain unclear. So today, we will review what is known so far, and I will follow the case and provide updates. Before I begin, I want to say that I have gleaned information from publicly available sources. This podcast is for informational purposes. These cases also will discuss violence against children today. I will always list my sources in the description of the podcast, and I have added a link to the Child Welfare Information Gateway, which provides a national phone number to report abuse, as well as other resources about reporting it. So I wonder what a parent thinks as they look at their 17-year-old. Realizing that soon they'll be entering a big, scary world on their own. I would think that thoughts of, did I prepare her enough? Does she know that she can always call me no matter how old she is or what the problem is? I will always be there. Can I really let my baby go? Well, I don't think that a parent can ever really let go completely. There will be a bond that a distance and time cannot untether, but that bond can be severed by the cold hand of another. And when that happens, what does a parent do? While we all hope that no parent ever has to go through the unnatural process of outliving their child, it does happen. Illness, accidents, we know that these things happen and it will be hard, and one might go through stages of grief a number of times, but at least you have an answer as to why. But when presented with a sudden crime, a heinous act, a parent may be left with wondering, why would two teenagers want to kill another? Madison Sparrow went missing in the evening of October 2nd, 2020. Coincidentally, my older son's birthday is October 2nd. So these events, as we know them at this time, are as follows. Madison left her home, and depending on which article we might read, some say she left with a friend, while others say it was with friends, plural. At some point, she went to see her ex-boyfriend, Noah Sharp. She went missing after her last known contact with him. Sharp, and after investigation and questioning, 
he admitted to the killing. He directed detectives to her body. The police thought that there were indications that at least one other person was involved, and in November of 2020, a second arrest was made. Sharp worked with a classmate of Madison's to lure her to a wooded area. This classmate was 17-year-old Annika Stelchinski to pull off the murder. After meeting with Madison in the wooded area, and I'm sorry, but these details may be a little hard to hear, they beat Madison using an aluminum baseball bat. They then moved her body to another wooded area behind an elementary school. Police quickly did look at Sharp and they've been able to locate the clothes that Madison had been wearing along with the baseball bat. While truly there is no motive that could ever excuse such a horrific crime, they have yet to offer one up or at least one that is made publicly known. You know, Madison wanted to be a teacher. She loved to help people. And by becoming a teacher, she would have been following in her grandfather's footsteps. Noah and Annika had planned this murder. And I now wonder if Anna was the friend that she went shopping with. Though the one article at least uses the plural of friends, I keep gravitating back to the ones that used friend, as in a single friend. And while this case was unfolding, before any mention of Annika, I had wondered what happened to the friend that she went out with that night. My first thought was, how could a friend just leave her alone? Or you not have some concerns about that but the name of the friend has not been released so until that happens I guess we won't really know who that friend was so this case has not yet gone to trial so I will be sure to update as the case evolves now Madison was found behind an elementary school and this type of location immediately reminded me of another equally heartbreaking case, the case of baby L, or as she was later identified as Emma Grace Cole. But the location of where Madison and baby L were found, it's really where the similarities end. On September 13th, 2019, on the grounds of a softball field in Smyrna, Delaware, the field being situated across the street from a middle and high school, a man walking his dog made a horrible discovery, the partially skeletonized body of a small child. This was a little girl. Now, one little girl that had been reported missing in 2019 from Bridgerton, New Jersey, Dolce Maria Alaves, was ruled out. So, as there were no other children that had been reported missing, this child was given the name Baby L.
Initially, the investigation included the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, Delaware Attorney General's Office, and even the State Fire Marshal, as there was evidence of a fire nearby. At that time, it was not released or had not been determined if the fire had anything to do with the case. Eventually, other agencies such as the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the FBI, the Secret Service, though it wasn't reported why the Secret Service was involved, Division of Natural Resources, and a number of other state and local agencies, including some agencies in Pennsylvania. So through all of these resources, investigators were able to identify the child as three-year-old Emma Grace Cole. Emma was suspected to have been on the grounds of the softball field for weeks, but possibly longer. The area, as I said, was on the grounds of a softball park, but these remains went unnoticed. While I can't speak for investigators, I can say that this struck me rather hard, thinking of her all alone out there. And those types of thoughts really upset me. The thought of a child being scared and alone. Well, those thoughts, that seems to be more than her mother, Christy Haas, and her stepfather, Brandon Haas, had done. Now, why would a parent or guardian not report their child missing? Did something happen to them too, or could it be something darker? Unfortunately, as the investigation took shape, it formed a picture of a little girl who was betrayed by the person who should have loved her the most in this world. As this case has not yet gone to trial either, the details have not emerged as to what exactly happened to little Emma Grace. What we do know is that she was not reported missing, that she did show signs of abuse and food deprivation before her death. She did live with three siblings and they all were forced to do what was termed excessive exercise. And I've heard about this in many other child abuse cases. There was also other physical abuse. An anthropologist also determined that Emma could have had a chronic illness, but the information as to what type of illness was not released or not known. Christy and Brandon Haas have lived close to the softball field when Emma's body was found, but they were evicted from their home a month later. Previously, Christy, Emma, and Emma's father all lived in Indiana. Emma's father had tried to gain custody, but this was denied. Now her father is only identified as the letter J. So later, Jay once again tried to get custody. And the documents that were being sent to Christie kept getting returned as undeliverable. But in July of 2016, Jay's sister Tanya was awarded guardianship and Emma lived with her aunt Tanya for about the first two years of her life. But amazingly, while Christie did not respond to the documents sent to her, 
she did find a way to file a petition to have Tanya's guardianship rescinded. And it worked. It was approved. And Christy was given custody of Emma. Subsequently, after Emma had been found, posts by Tanya show how heartbroken she is. Now, there's no information about where the other three children who lived in the household are now after the Haas's arrests. No information was listed either as to the specifics of those children, which I have to agree with wholeheartedly. These children have lost their sister and their parental figures, which since the articles do not denote who were the children's biological parents, whether it was Christy or Brandon, or possibly they each had brought one or more children other than Emma into the relationship. But this was not, um, not made specifically in the article. But, you know, the parental figures committed a heinous act against Emma and the other three children as well. So I will provide updates as these stories continue to unfold, um, you know, during the trial. I'll try my best to make sure everything stays updated. But I do have some other thoughts on the Emma Grace case. You know, when I had read that the remains were skeletonized, I thought that it was truly, you know, odd that it may have happened so quickly. So I do have some speculations about that, but I would rather wait until more information is released. I also wonder the exact reason or reasons that Christy kept changing states. We know that she started out in Indiana and moved to Delaware, and I don't know if there were any states in between, but then they were finally located and arrested in Pennsylvania. It could have been for house and renting issues, you know, trying to rent a new place before an eviction showed up on any type of background. Or was it to hide the fact that Emma was no longer with them? Or was Christy trying to keep Jay away from Emma so that he would have to keep paying child support, not knowing that Emma was no longer with us? So I just cannot fathom what could ever make anyone do this kind of thing and still be able to sleep at night. You know, I know the picture of little Emma can be haunting, especially when we know what happens to her. But again, I will keep tabs on this case and many make any updates as needed. Once everything has completed, it's gone through the trial or plea bargains and they have been sentenced if they are found guilty, I will do a full episode on each one of these cases. So please keep Madison and Emma's loved ones in your thoughts. So I did mention I was going to leave a link about how to report suspected child abuse. I'm also going to link um, in the description something for a domestic violence hotline. I know that it did not specifically say whether or not Madison had experienced domestic violence, but these types of cases just remind us that it can happen at any age, that 
you know, no matter how old you are during a relationship, there can still be domestic violence. Now, in conclusion, please keep our Delaware fire crews and all firefighters in your thoughts, especially as thousands are fighting wildfires across the West. Delaware has two different units fighting two different wildfires. The Diamond State Type 2IA crew is fighting a fire in Montana, the Harris Mountain Fire. Lightning ignited the fire on July 23rd. They will serve a 14-day assignment and then head back to Delaware. Initially, I did not see how the timeline could work as the team actually had left Delaware on July 21st before the lightning strike. But as the West had been besieged by drought and heat, the team was dispatched to start heading West without knowing their ultimate assignment, but with the knowledge that this is wildfire season and they would be needed. Each member of the specialized team received certification from the National Wildfire Coordinating Group. These teams help fight wildfires throughout the U.S. Maryland and Virginia also have similar programs, but I wasn't able to locate information on whether or not they've been assigned to fight a fire as of yet this year. There is also a three-person engine crew from Delaware that is serving a 21-day assignment at the Cedar Creek Fire in Washington. While DeMarva is not known to have wildfires, it is still extremely important to follow all guidance about fire threat levels. Always be sure to leave nature the way you found it, put out all fires, and do not discard cigarette butts or other ignition sources anywhere other than an ashtray or the like. Thank you for listening to today's mini-sode. If you enjoy this type of content, please like, rate, or leave a comment, depending on what podcatcher you use. This will help others more easily find the podcast using the algorithms that those podcatchers use when someone searches. If you do have any comments or have any ideas about you know any type of you know, other cases or any other information that you would like me to cover, please contact me by email. That's dangerindelaware at gmail.com and my Facebook page, and those will also be linked in the description. I'd like to thank you again, everyone, for listening, and I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. Bye.